You know, I, uh, I've spent most of today being castigated by my wife for being clumsy. So to make it through the curtain and up the stairs with the pulpit without falling over is an achievement of which I'm proud. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, a big thank you to Dr. Hurd and the choir for that. That was lovely, wasn't it? <clears throat> So our reading today is taken from John and John chapter 13. John chapter 13, starting to read at verse 1. <clears throat> it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Lord, that we can be gathered in your house and we can be gathered around your word. And we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be present with us this evening as we consider your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our minds, that we could understand your word, that we could draw closer to you this evening. In your precious and worthy name, amen. So, Maundy Thursday. Uh, Maundy Thursday. What is Maundy Thursday? Well, as Peter explained, Maundy Thursday is the, the Thursday of Holy Week. 
It's the day before Good Friday. It commemorates the Last Supper that Jesus enjoyed with his disciples, and in particular the fact that he washed the feet of his disciples. As Peter said earlier, Maundy, which is an unusual word, Maundy does come from the Latin word mandatum, meaning to command. And it picks up on John 13, 34, where Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another. That was a commandment, not a suggestion, that we love one another. And from that, it's become Maundy Thursday. How it gets from mandatum to Maundy, I don't know. I suspect a French influence, those French... I think there is some French influence in there. You know the French, that you never quite know what they're up to. He said as an Englishman. Um, but I guess Maundy is a little bit more proper than if we had Mandy Thursday, really. No offence to anybody called Mandy. So tonight, Maundy Thursday. How is it celebrated? Well, it's celebrated in, all over the world. Many, many, many countries in the world, they celebrate Maundy Thursday. And a lot of the ways in which they commemorate Maundy Thursday or celebrate Maundy Thursday pick up on elements of the story that we read. So in a lot of countries, in a lot of churches, they will have foot washing ceremonies where people will come forward and their feet will be washed. In a lot of Catholic churches, they strip all of the ornamentation off the altar because they want to trace the the humility and the humble nature of what Christ did when he washed the disciples' feet. So they take down any ornamentation, any ostentation, anything that could be seen as glitzy. A lot of countries there are public holidays. A lot of countries there is a lot of giving to charity. In particular in England, the reigning monarch, the king now, uh, will go to different churches and money will be given to charities for the poor. In some countries, I don't know if anybody here this evening is planning to go for dinner after the service, but in a lot of countries, or some countries, you celebrate Maundy Thursday, you remember it, you go back, you're looking for purity, and so you just eat fresh green vegetables. And um, if you were German this evening and going for dinner after the service, you might choose to have a fresh green salad. So... Um, Lots of different ways in lots of different countries that they celebrate Maundy Thursday. But the question for us tonight is, what does Maundy Thursday mean for us? What can Maundy Thursday teach us this evening? And I've got four things that I want to briefly share about Maundy Thursday. The first is this. In the story that we read we see Christ's majesty. Now, we see that quite clearly in two places. First of all, it says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. That's in the first verse of John 13. So Jesus was very aware of his majesty and the fact that he had come to earth in order to execute the plan of salvation. But he knew that his time on earth was coming to a close and that soon he would be returning into heaven 
where he would be with the Father. A little bit later on, in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So here, in this passage, we see Christ's majesty. And that is something that we need to remember and understand in this Holy Week on this Maundy Thursday. That we're not talking about something that a good man did. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about God incarnate coming to this earth in order to execute God's plan of salvation. And so that should register and resonate with us. There should be a sense of awe, a sense of amazement, a sense of holy fear as we are in this holy week. Something that should lift us out of the day-to-day things that we've been doing this week, for us just to take a little time out and remember that this is God Almighty humbling himself, coming to earth and sacrificing himself for us. We see Christ's majesty. The second thing we see, juxtaposed perfectly with Christ's majesty, is we see Christ's Humility. In these same verses, we're reminded twice of who Jesus was, that he was God, he'd come from God. All things were under his power and he was going to return to God. Yet, the actions that he then takes speak of nothing but humility and servitude. They're a million miles away from what you would expect from majesty. And these are the two elements that are bound together tonight, Maundy Thursday, and through this Easter period. We see Christ's humility in four ways. Firstly, in in verse 4 of chapter 13, it says, He got up from the meal... So he was eating, the meal was continuing, the meal hadn't finished, but he gets up from the meal in order to come and wash the disciples' feet. There's no suggestion there that it was anything inconvenient for him. Sometimes, because we're busy, we can be a bit... (laughs) I'm using the word we... And I'm sure Stephanie's thinking you should be using the word I. Sometimes we can be a bit, not irritable, but a bit, you know, if we're busy doing something and then we need to help out somewhere else, we can be a little, look, I'm do- you know, I'm doing this, I'm busy. There was none of that here. Christ got up from the meal because there was something he wanted to do. And now was the time to do it. And it wasn't an inconvenience. It was more important that he did this, that he expressed this humility, than it was he continued eating. The second thing he did was he took off his outer clothing. What does that speak of? That speaks of an absence of pride. Whatever outer clothing he wore, they were all wearing it. He didn't want to get that necessarily you know, wet or dirty when he's washing the disciples' feet, so he took it off. 
There was no pride there. There was no concern for his appearance. The third thing, he tied a towel around his waist. What does that speak of? That's, that speaks to me of an intense practicality. You know, he's, just not, he's not just washing the disciples' feet and leaving them with wet feet. He's got a towel from somewhere because he wants to dry their feet. So they won't just have clean feet, they'll have clean, dry feet. And it speaks to me also of a self-reliance here. He's not asking somebody else to hold a towel. He's not saying to Peter or one of the other disciples, can you hold this towel while I wash everybody's feet? No, he gets the towel, he needs to use the towel, but he needs his hands free to wash the disciples' feet, so he ties the towel around his waist. There's a practicality there. There's a, there's a, there's a lack of pride, there's a practicality of just, just getting the job done. And the fourth aspect of his humility as I've, in, as I've mentioned before, he dried their feet. He, he finished the job. He didn't do half a job. He wanted to make sure that their feet were dried as well. So when we think about Christ's humility, we need to think about elements of that humility that we've talked about and how we can see them appear in our lives. He wasn't inconvenienced by needing to minister to the disciples. Are we inconvenienced when somebody needs assistance from us? Do we put our own agenda before the needs of others? He took off his outer clothing. There was no pride. There's no place for pride if you're looking to serve somebody else and look after the needs of somebody else. He tied the towel around his waist. It was very practical. That's one of the most positive and direct ways in which we can love one another, by being practical, offering practical help and assistance. Not just thinking about somebody and wishing them well, but is there anything we can do? Is everything okay? Can I help you with anything? That's tying the towel around your waist. That's being practical. And then drying their feet. He wanted to make sure the job was done. There's an attention to detail there. So it's not just humility for humility's sake. It's humility, if you like, with wheels on it. It's humility with a practical outcome. That's what we see in Christ's humility. It's not Christ being humble and showing humility in the wilderness on his own. It's Christ showing humility and putting that into practical action by serving the needs of those around him. So we see Christ's majesty. We see Christ's humility. The third thing we see here is we see something Literally astonishing. Remember the majesty of Christ, the reminder in this verse, John is keen to remind us when he writes this, 
that God had put everything under his command and he was about to go back up to heaven. Yet, he takes off his outer clothing, ties a towel around his waist and washes the disciples' feet. That was an astonishing thing to see. We know it was because of the way Peter reacted. I mean, if you think about Peter and Peter's life, Peter was, was really crash-bang wallop. Peter didn't spend a lot of time thinking things through, did he? He was a man of action. When, he, when Jesus took him and the other two disciples up onto the, the mountain and Christ was transfigured and they could see Christ walking with Elijah and Moses, Peter's first thought was, oh, this is great. We could build three little houses so the three of you could live. That wasn't what it was about. It was about seeing Christ's majesty. Peter was practical. He was on the move, uh, you know, and, and he was always doing something. But here, you can feel his astonishment. He said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, yes, I am going to wash your feet. You don't understand now, but you will later. And, Jesus, and Peter replied, no. You will never wash my feet. How direct a statement is that from Peter? Why does he respond to that? Because he was aware of who Jesus was. He was aware of Jesus' majesty, authority, and power. He couldn't reconcile that with the fact that Jesus wanted to kneel and wash his dirty feet. It was something completely out of Peter's mindset. It was astonishing. And that's something else, that sense of astonishment. Once Peter had had it explained to him, he was all in. He wanted to be washed from head to toe. He didn't understand it at first because it was so out of his comfort zone. But that sense of astonishment that God, who created the heavens and the earth, wanted to minister directly to Peter by washing his feet was so astonishing, Peter couldn't understand it. Do you think that we've lost a little of that sense of astonishment? You know, as David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? How extraordinary is it that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, knows your name? He knows the day you've had today. He's watched you smile at the things you've smiled at today. He's seen you worry about the things that have troubled you today. He knows what was in your mind when you're on your way to church. He knows the things that are on your mind, the things that are going on tonight, tomorrow, this week, next week. And more than that, he cares deeply about them. Whatever day you've had today, whatever week you've had this week, whatever things you have going on in your life, you need to understand God loves you 
He cares for you deeply. He knows exactly where you are, exactly what you're going through, and he wants to come alongside and help you through this life. He wants your life to be abundant. He wants to bless you in a wonderful way. All he needs is for you to accept him. That is astonishing. We see Christ's majesty. We see Christ's humility. We see something astonishing. The fourth and last thing. It's astonishing what Jesus did. But it's not a miracle. The Gospels are full of miraculous things that Jesus did. Turning water into wine. Healing sick people. Casting out demons. Calming storms. Walking on the water. And the disciples had all been with him and had seen all of these things happening. They were astonishing things. But the amazing thing about Maundy Thursday is that what Jesus did that we remember tonight was astonishing, as we've just seen, but it was not a miracle. It didn't require any miraculous power. It required him to get up, put aside his majesty and his authority, and just in humility look after the needs of other people. That means good news and bad news for us as Christians. The good news is, is that because it wasn't a miracle, we can do it as well. The bad news is, because it wasn't a miracle, we can do it as well. And he expects us to do it as well. It's a little golden jewel in amongst all of the miraculous things that Jesus did. This thing that he did that was not miraculous, and it's something we can do, and it's something he expects us to do. He expects us to minister to other people, to show humility, not pride, to be practical in the way that we help people. That's what he expects us to do. In closing, in conclusion, we need to do two things if we take this passage and Maundy Thursday to heart this evening. We need to do two things. The first, we need to understand Christ's humility and his sacrifice. We need to remember that. We need to understand that he debased himself that he took off his outer robe, that he set aside his majesty, that who he was became irrelevant because he wanted to serve, he wanted to minister, he wanted to help the people that he loved. We need to see that. The second thing that we need to do is we have to replicate that because he made that clear at the end in verse 34, which gives us the name of the service, when he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. He also said, after he'd done the washing of the feet, he says, you've seen what I've done, and if I can do that as your Lord and Master, then you can do it as well. So the two things for us to take away 
is an understanding of Christ putting aside his majesty to want to have a relationship with us and to serve us. And we need, secondly, to understand that that was done as an example to us so that we are able to put aside our pride, any thoughts of our ability, our position, the importance of our time, and look to serve and help wherever and whenever we can, without pride and in a practical way. Because if we do that, we're obeying his command. We're honoring the example that he gave to us. And he's given us the ability to serve others in his name. Shall we pray? My dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for what we remember in this holy week. We thank you, Lord, for your majesty. We thank you, Lord, for your humility. Like Peter, Lord, we find it difficult to comprehend. But all we can do is say thank you, Lord, and hallelujah, what a saviour. Lord, if there's anybody here this evening who doesn't yet know you, I pray, Lord, that you would give them no peace till they've come to you ask you to come into their life, Lord, so that they can enjoy this relationship with you where you want to protect us and guide us and deliver us and bless us. For those of us, Lord, who do know you, help us, Lord, prompt us to understand what you did that night and help us, Lord, to seek ways in which we can replicate it and do the same in your name. Amen.